Hi everyone, welcome to the next page. I'm Natalie Alexander, and this is the podcast of the UN Geneva Library and Archives. Here at the next page, we aim to advance the conversation on multilateralism. And today we begin a new series as part of this conversation called Knowledge Rising. This is a series dedicated to speaking with young activists, knowledge shapers and knowledge makers to hear their own insights on the issues they're working on and are passionate about. This could be anything from education to questions of human rights and the environment and the climate crisis. It's a space that hopes to allow these conversations to happen and to build our understanding collectively about how we can act on the issues that affect our common future. Today, we begin the series with a conversation on the global impact of what we wear. Yes, our clothing. I think many of us are more aware now of how what we choose to wear impacts the climate and people globally. But how big is this impact? I had the chance to speak over Skype with Holly Syrett and Colette Roskurtz, who are based in Amsterdam and are dedicating a lot of their work to helping change the fashion industry to a more sustainable one. They're both working in the field of sustainability in fashion and responsible investment and are part of the Global Shapers community, a network of young people driving action and change on global issues. They together co-founded the initiative Shaping Fashion, and in this conversation share their own insights into this industry, which accounts for at least 8-10% to of global greenhouse gas emissions, among other impacts on the environment, labour rights, human rights and gender equality. They also share what is needed to bring about change locally and globally through multilateral efforts, but also what we can all do to act now in our own wardrobes. I hope you learn a bit about this intricate and interconnected industry. You can head to the podcast notes for some further resources from our conversation and also from the UN side if you'd like to be more informed. Here we begin our series, Knowledge Rising. Let's go. Thank you for joining us for this next episode of The Next Page. Today, I have the chance to speak with Holly and Colette. Thank you both for joining us for this conversation via Skype. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you because when I found out about the work that you were doing through some readings on fashion and consumption and really wanted to talk to you because the more I looked into it, the more I realized that a lot of us, I guess, know that we have an impact on, on the world and society through what we wear, but maybe we don't know enough or, or, or need to act more than, than we currently are. But before we get to that, could you, could you share with us a little bit more about yourselves, um, who you are, and how did you come to dedicate much of your work and your time to, to this area of, of sustainable fashion? Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having us, Natalie. Yeah, my name's Holly Cyrus. I'm 33 years old and live in Amsterdam with my husband. Big fan of Asian cooking and uh, also a big fan of uh, new approaches to fashion. My sustainable fashion journey really started with my first job um, in 2010, where I started working for a fashion week in here in Amsterdam. And my very first meeting um, was in our local zoo called Artist. And I was sat around a table, all glammed up because I was ready to work for fashion week with my fashion week colleagues and with a group of ecologists. 
and specialists from the Dutch Ministry because 2010 was the International Year of Biodiversity. And my first task and my first job was to develop educational tools that would explain how fashion designers have an impact with the choices that they make on biodiversity. And that's really where my learning curve started. And I started to understand how fashion and the fashion industry influenced the environment and influenced people. And I became committed to wanting to contribute to a more sustainable fashion industry. That's how it all started for me. Yeah, so for me, I had a completely different journey. No fashion week uh, involved at all. But for me, I've always been interested in fashion. Actually, when I was younger already, I really loved uh, to go shopping. I loved the magazines. I loved the aesthetics. I even used to make clothes as well, which my mom taught me. But then at some point when I got interested in sustainability, which was um, at my university time around 2010, I I saw the sort of like great and vulnerable nature and ecosystems that we that we depend on. Um, for example, on my exchange uh, to Australia, and that sort of made me realize that yeah, there's there's an end to the resources that we have, and that we should actually take more care of what we consume. And especially uh, because my personal interest is in fashion, this was sort of like a natural thing for me to uh, to explore further. So I wrote both my bachelor and also later on during my business administration studies, my master thesis on the topic of sustainable supply chain management in the fashion industry. And that's in that way, I explored the whole system of the fashion industry, but also the environmental and social aspects that are associated with it. So that really got me interested in the, in the topic. And you both worked together, actually, on a project as part of your work for the Global Shapers community. Could you share a little bit more about what you're doing there? What is the Global Shapers? Yeah, sure. So the Global Shapers community is actually born out of the World Economic Forum. And it's a network of young people under the age of 30 working together to address local, regional and global challenges. And we have over 7,000 members. We have so-called city-based hubs in around 170 countries. And in Amsterdam, we also have a hub, which exists already for a long time, actually. And within that hub, we, yeah, we developed projects. And one of them is indeed uh, Shaping Fashion, which is something that Holly and I actually co-founded three years ago, because we both are interested in uh, sustainable fashion, as you already understood from the introduction. And because we think that there's more need to activate citizens, but also other kinds of stakeholders across the globe on this topic, because the fashion industry is a global industry and the value chain covers a lot of different countries and contexts. Uh, So we saw a great opportunity in the fact that we're part of this global network that can mobilize people around topics like sustainability in the fashion industry. Great. So, so we'll explore a little bit more about, about your project, Shaping Fashion, uh, later in the conversation. But then let's head into the state of the, the fashion industry or the apparel industry. What does this fashion industry mean? What does it mean as a, as a whole and what does it entail? And what do you think are some of the key issues or, or trends we're facing at the moment? Well, I would describe uh, the fashion industry as really the industry that produces the clothes that, that really dress our global population. It's an extensive industry. You can consider the different steps throughout the supply chain. So often originating with a designer or a brand to design a product, then source certain materials to create that product, 
cloth materials themselves coming from different raw materials and the majority of raw materials that are used in fashion are cotton, oil and wood. Processed to materials, they're then created into garments, sold, owned by citizens and then you have this whole afterlife process where you can consider if a garment's disposed or recycled or upcycled. And throughout each of those steps, as Colette indicated earlier in the conversation, you really look at different places all around the globe. So it's this global industry. The World Economic Forum estimates that it's approximately a $2.5 trillion industry. And that scale also brings huge issues that are both of an environmental and social nature, but are really systemic to the industry. The estimations that I've read about are that the fashion industry is responsible for 10% of the global carbon footprint. It's very thirsty, uses lots of water, also pollutes lots of water and uses toxic chemicals. So even on environmental aspects, but also if you look at the working population within the fashion industry, talking about millions and millions of people, often want women working under poor working conditions and lots of a lack of transparency, lack of job security for many people working in the industry. So yeah, there are different ways of, of looking at the issues that the industry faces. But I think what's very important to mention here is also with the size of the industry, we also have a value issue. So we citizens consume fashion at a huge rate and have really lost an understanding of what the value of our clothing product really is because it's often offered to us at very affordable prices, really driving consumption up. But we lose the back end and the story and the understanding of how this product has become from raw material throughout the value chain, throughout the globe, into the product that meets uh, all that we have in our shopping bags. So, yeah, I mean, environmental, social aspects, but also definitely looking at the speed of the industry and uh, the, the scale of consumption are definitely issues that the industry faces. Yeah, indeed. Also, the systemic and sort of like interconnected nature of the industry also makes it very difficult so far, I think, to change because there's so many stakeholders involved and because there's so many countries involved makes it difficult to to address these environmental social issues that are actually known for quite a while now already as well. I was definitely not aware that it's it's an industry of around 2.5 trillion. That's that's a huge impact on the economy but at the same time a huge impact on on people globally in terms of, of labor, resources, etc. Some of the reading I was doing too indicates that if we continue on this current path, by around 2050, the fashion and apparel industry could could account for around 26% of the global the global carbon budget. What what is the science telling us if if we keep on this on this current track? I think that raises uh, another good point because in one way I believe there's a lack of science in the fashion industry. So there's there is quite a an, an issue of misinformation and um, lots of statistics that are used where we don't really have an understanding of the science behind the storytelling. I mean, if I can do a call out for something that we really need in the fashion industry, it's more research and more R&D budgets that really go into looking at what the impact of the industry really is. Um, And if you translate that to fashion brands and, and how they communicate with citizens and consumers, I often find there's a lack of science behind story storytelling. 
So you can have a beautiful picture of sustainability, but not really understand what's being conveyed. But sorry, that wasn't the answer to your question. Um, you asked about how, uh, what our observations are of the development of the industry. And I think it's really worrying. We cannot continue on the path that we're on um, because we'll go beyond the planetary boundaries. We use too many resources in fashion. We consume too much clothing that aren't sufficient, sustainable material options. We haven't completely closed the loop, so we're not valuing the resources that go into fashion enough. So it has to change. I mean, the impact that is already so it's already the toll that it's already taking on the environment is becoming irreversible. And hopefully the situation that we're currently in with the COVID-19 crisis, retail locations have closed, which has had a huge impact on brands and retailers, but also down the supply chain as where fashion products are often made far in advance. Um, there's been a whole stop on production and whole supply chains have been disrupted with COVID-19. But also consumers are becoming more aware and are taking time to stop and to realise what do they usually do. We're questioning ourselves and becoming more conscious. So I believe although the fashion industry is taking a huge hit now, and it was very worrisome is that people who are often the most vulnerable, um, in this case it's often workers in factories, are the, are the hardest hit in these situations. But I hope as the industry takes this hit that it will also take a time to rethink where we currently stand and to rebuild an industry that's more responsible and more resilient and more fair as well. Thanks, Holly. I also wanted to ask you about this question of of the labour industry and and also what this means for gender equality. Can you share with us what you know about this and how the the fashion industry is connected to to the labour conditions we see today in, in parts of the world, in many parts of the world? Yeah, from a historical perspective or like a business perspective, um, you see that a lot of companies back in the days used to uh, actually manufacture the clothes within their own countries. So factories were based in, I don't know, England or uh, the US or other countries that are currently regarded as mainly consuming rather than producing the clothes because there has been a run on low cost outsourcing of labor towards countries that have different standards when it comes to to labor due to different regulations and rules uh, set by governments. So you saw at the start of this whole outsourcing that a lot of manufacturing would go to countries like China, where now actually we see that government has increased a lot of minimum wage levels, which actually means that uh, new countries are being explored where the standards are again lower when it comes to costs uh, related to the labor and that's quite worrying because it seems like there's not been a lesson learned from the past that outsourcing to those countries of course reduces cost which is nice for consumers that are driven by cost considerations but it's not good for the longevity of the livelihoods of these people as well as the businesses there so Ideally, you would move towards a model, a business model, where you can indeed outsource your labor, but do this under responsible or sustainable conditions. So considering specific living wage requirements, which take into account the costs for a whole family in certain certain countries, but also look at the health and safety conditions uh, within the factories, make sure that there's sufficient overtime compensation because of the the speed at which certain 
production chains are are designed sometimes there's an over demand in certain peak times which require people to work longer hours than currently in their contract as well as provides better working conditions in general where there's opportunity for workers to uh, make their voices heard through social dialogue in in for example factories Often this is not yet established in many of these countries. And we do see a lot of collaboration with NGOs and and also, for example, even the Dutch government is investing in setting up those dialogues and providing lessons learned from our experiences to make sure that actually these kind of conditions are being met and to address also issues of discrimination, which you also touch upon, the gender aspect is very interesting in the fashion industry because the majority of of workers is female due to the nature of the work. This is somehow a result. But it's it's interesting to see that in some of these factories, there's a very traditional role, let's say, for the managers being male and the workers being female, which can sometimes result in discrimination or sexual harassment which are other issues, <laughs> again, that, that need, to, need to be addressed, which can be done through a social dialogue and collective bargaining kind of agreements as well. So definitely from, from our conversation so far, it's an inherently complex industry. So I guess it's important not to oversimplify, oversimplify this issue. What are your own observations about how we, we got to this point? Because we, we know we've been on this track for a while and that this industry has, has a huge impact on, on society and the environment. Are there any certain trends or, or reasons why we've come this far? No, so one of my, I mean, if we look at where the fashion industry is today, I believe my observations at least are that it's grown to this size as prosperity has increased. So a prosperity in mainly Western countries, but of course now other economies as well, we have more to spend. Fast fashion has increased as well. Fashion has become more affordable, available to the masses. There's been a democratization of the fashion industry so that once went from couture in Paris um, for a very select few, then became translated and available at a very fast speed for, for the masses. And I believe we consumers have become addicted to being able to buy clothing that we see on the catwalk, that we see in media, that we see by influencers, and that is made available to us for a very affordable price. And that's how the fashion industry has exploded and continues to explode and to grow. We look at statistics from what's happening uh, throughout China, throughout India, throughout South America, Europe still. Fashion consumption just keeps on growing and increasing. That's why we need to, as both citizens and individuals, but of course also as the industry, really redesign and rethink our approach towards fashion. Uh, We've been talking about the scale of the industry and the complexity, and that can seem very daunting as an individual who might be considering making better choices but not really have the tools how to. But the actuality is that as individuals, we have a huge power to influence the industry just by the choices that we make, by making clothing last twice as long as you usually would. You really significantly reduce your consumption patterns. With that, reduce your environmental impact. Um, another simple tip that we, we talk about in the Shaken Fashion Project is, for example, 
washing smart. So by reducing how often you wash clothing, uh, the temperatures that you wash at, you can really have a huge impact on your um, environmental life cycle of a clothing item. So actually, there are simple things that we can do as individuals as well. So it doesn't have to be as daunting. We see we see quite a few activists and movements, even organizations working on on a more sustainable fashion industry, which is which is very encouraging at the moment. And I do think a lot more people are becoming uh, aware of of what they're wearing. Do you see more people conscious conscious of what's happening? And, and do you see the the industry kind of changing in that regard? Yeah, I definitely see the the industry changing and a, a real shift in the sentiment of citizens and the sentiment of consumers looking at fashion and, and considering the choices that they make. I believe we first saw a large movement in food that people were becoming more aware of what they put in their bodies and being aware of the environmental impact, but also the social impact, the choices that they make. Thankfully, that's also shifting towards fashion as well. Um, we have several large international organizations that are working to create more consumer awareness and drive people to uh, utilize the power of purchase so they can really choose better, more responsible products and help stimulate sustainable entrepreneurship. To name a few, there's Fashion Revolution that we also partner with within the Shaping Fashion Project. And they are a large international NGO that really aims to empower citizens to make more responsible choices, but also to ask for better practices from the brands they buy from. If we look at research that's underway, and of course, uh, there's a huge amount of consumer research underway, McKinsey just published a report together with their global fashion agenda, which really actually dove into where we currently stand in the situation of COVID-19. And they did consumer research in Northern Europe. And through that research, they were able to establish that two-thirds of consumers state that sustainability has become more important priority in relation to fashion since COVID-19. That 80% of citizens agree that workers in poor countries need support during this crisis. And 71% are shifting towards more high-quality, slow-fashion investments versus before the, the, the crisis happened. Before the crisis happened, there was already a shift underway, but now it's really being accelerated in what we can see in the consumer sentiment. I suppose the next step is translating the consumer sentiment into actual behaviours as well. And that's, of course, something we hope to drive with the Shaping Fashion Project. Could you then now share a little bit more about this initiative that you've co-founded, Shaping Fashion? What is your, what is your approach? Yeah, sure. And so Shaping Fashion, we, uh, as mentioned before, uh, Holly and I actually co-founded it from, from the Amsterdam Global Shapers Hub because we saw an opportunity to do something as citizens on the topic of sustainable fashion. And we then explored what would be good opportunities to actually address this, this topic. At first, we started out just very locally in Amsterdam. We approached a sustainable fashion brand called Lena. They're a fashion library, actually. So you can rent clothes there on a, on a subscription basis. And we tried to help them with some of their strategic issues. But after evaluating that project, we were like, okay, we're part of this really good global network. Can't we use this power and this network for the greater good and have more impact even? And then we, we actually sought out contact with Fashion Revolution. Fashion Revolution is a, an NGO based in the UK, which was actually founded after the Rana Plaza incident in Bangladesh, which was 
a fashion factory uh, collapse, which caused a lot of deaths and injuries. And they were born out of that out of that incident because they felt that there's a big disconnect between who is making your clothes and the clothes that you're wearing. So they set up a campaign around who made my clothes. Uh, they developed a lot of tools to raise awareness around sustainability in the fashion industry. And they call upon citizens to take action. So every year they organize this initiative called Fashion Revolution Week, uh, during which all over the world people undertake activities to raise awareness on, on the topic, but also to participate in a social media campaign asking brands who made my clothes to ask for transparency and also understand a bit better where their clothes may be coming from. So we saw a very nice opportunity to collaborate with them. And that's what we've been doing ever since. So we have been connecting Fashion Revolution coordinators in countries with uh, global shapers in countries to organize meaningful offline events around the topic of sustainable fashion. And this can range from the sustainable fashion catwalks to documentary evenings to multi-stakeholder dialogues, uh, including uh, industry and policy representatives. But it can also be clothing swaps. So people exchanging clothes that they don't need anymore or that they would like to get from someone else. There's a variety of activities that we encourage people to, to undertake. And we're very happy that this year, even though we are facing the corona crisis uh, at the moment and we had to shift all of the activities online, we still had over 35 hubs participating uh, in this initiative. So, And we are planning to, uh, to grow over the years. And we also see that in certain countries, there's, there's still very little knowledge on this topic. So it's very inspiring to see that whenever people reach out to us, that that they're very curious to learn more also content-wise about the issues in the industry and to then yeah, take up an activity to share this in their local communities. It's been very exciting and energizing uh, so far. Fantastic. We'll make sure to share some links to Shaping Fashion in, in the podcast notes as, as well. I was reading a little bit about the hub in the Philippines and they, they also mentioned this idea of cultural sustainability and how this relates to to the industry do you have any thoughts there on on how like this looking at it from a more community level can help also um, our cultural identity yeah there there are indeed uh, various hubs that are that are looking at that topic because they're located in areas where there's for example more traditional ways of making clothes so to keep up those manual often traditions it's very important to make sure that knowledge is transferred, but also to make sure that they're, they can be part of, of a global market maybe at some point in time so that their livelihoods can be supported and they can continue creating the, the handcrafts that they, uh, that they do. So I think it's indeed, there's plenty of projects, opportunities to, to enhance this uh, cultural identity and also to share that across the globe nowadays. Yeah, I think one of the, the, the strengths of the project is that we do, in one way, we share our resources through the international network. And since we started in 2017, we've reached over 55 hubs in 55 cities globally, um, which is mind-blowing for Colette and myself. So we can really use and leverage our resources throughout that global network. But at the same time, 
listen and learn more about what's relevant for each different local community Um, because that does differ around the globe and I do think it helps to be able to listen and to share and to learn throughout this network about what's relevant at a local and a regional level but what similarities we have or what we can learn from each other globally as well. So for example we created a, a social media campaign this year with five simple steps that everyone can become a fashion revolutionary in their own way with examples such as asking transparency so that you can buy following your values, assessing your closet so you know and treasure what you own, washing smart, recycling and making products last, extending the lifetime of them, and actually shopping less and buying well. And a campaign like that is something that we translated to lots of different languages and we really leveraged through the global network. Whereas in some situations, for example, Uh, In Jaipur, we also have an initiative that's really focusing on the local weavers and how we can ensure that the local weavers and the artisans in that community can have a return of business and can use their product to reach more of an international market. And so it's really, yeah, there's really a, a broad scala of different activities that are underway. But I think being really able to listen and to attune to what's relevant at local networks and at local levels, I think that's uh, something that we've learned a lot from too. I wanted to also ask you then, if if we look at this regionally and, and globally, uh, what do you see as critical to work on? Do, do we need more science and data or, or policy? What kind of cooperation do we need? What are your thoughts there? My thoughts are that given the, the global nature of the industry, we need to have coordinated action. And I think that's something that became even more apparent and uh, more confronting with the COVID-19 crisis. It is, as Colette uh, explained earlier, this globally interconnected industry, um, this is interdependence throughout different countries, different areas in the supply chain. Um, but we've been enabled to have a rapid response to what to the disaster and to the crisis that have been underway. I think that's due to a lack of coherent governance. I believe that that's due to that we need more cross-organisational collaborations as well, so both between businesses, uh, governments, worker representatives, so we can have these shared roadmaps and create a more resilient industry together. And I think part of that is also this overall policy approach that we'll, that we need to promote sustainability along the value chain and, and then to really act a crisis as they occur. So I believe I mean, this is this is talking at a global scale, but I really need when we're looking at an industry of this size, we need to collaborate across countries and across these different uh, types of organisations as well. In that regard, then, what what does multilateralism mean mean to you for this area? What do we need more of in terms of, of multilateral effort? Maybe to add to to what Holly was saying, I think it's also important to realise that. We know there's already issues for a long time. So we have environmental, social governance issues in this industry. And even though we know this, there's been only a very slight change if you look at it. I mean, we do see a lot more sustainable brands popping up. And we do see that also even the larger brands and retailers are starting to take into consideration these topics. We see a lot of business collaboration on topics. So there's a lot of coalitions and conventions and and these kind of initiatives. But at the same time, the industry has not been able to change. So I think 
this is a sign, and as Holly already mentioned, it's due to the nature of the industry, most likely. But it also has to do with an attitude. So I also believe we need a bit more pressure. And I think the government and policymakers can have a role to play in there. So I think, for example, for the topic of living wage, we know that companies are driven by costs and value. And as long as they are able to find locations where they can have lower costs, they will try to go for that. So we need a level playing field when it comes to minimum wages to make sure that no one can outcompete the other when it comes to the lowest costs that are not that are insufficient to provide for the livelihoods of workers. So I think there's a huge call actually for governments to collaborate on that topic to make sure that the so- the social effects in any case are addressed. Yeah, I couldn't agree more than um, what Colette just expressed. I mean, we've been talking about about climate for is it 70 years now, and it's been prominent in the fashion agenda for well, at least 10 years. But then what changes actually occurred? We need to take things that were on the agenda and start putting them into action. And, and, and I think uh, legislation definitely has a role to play with that. As a global shaper, I was able to participate in the World Economic Forum meeting at the beginning of this year in Davos. And I was on a panel with the uh, French Minister of Environment. And it was very exciting because she presented that they just passed a law in France related to uh, different areas of the textile industry. For example, in relation to transparency and on-product labelling, something that I've dedicated a lot of my career to. And then there's a law that's passed in France that from, I believe, by the end of this year on forward, it wouldn't be possible to make any environmental claim on a piece of clothing unless it's been grounded through an environmental life cycle analysis. And I think that's a huge step. I think it's amazing. And she also banned, uh, created a law that bans um, incineration of clothing as well. But that's at a national level. And if we're talking about this global industry, we need laws that are broader than that as well because otherwise if you look at a large fashion brand they will have to meet certain regulations in for example France different regulations in Germany and of course throughout the rest of the world as well so I think that's really where legislators and for example the European Commission have a huge opportunity to use the information that's already available and to collaborate in making legislation that will really drive the industry for change. I, I wonder then, how can we how can we best then work together multilaterally? Is there a way that we could be be more efficient or more collaborative so we have a common vision? I think there are definitely ways to work together. If we look at, for example, circularity and where we currently stand today in the industry is that there's a huge quantity of dead stock and overstock due to the retail outlets being closed due to COVID-19 crisis. And that's actually, in a way, a huge opportunity because that's feedstock for upcycling and recycling materials. Uh, What do we need to be able to develop such systems is really collaboration throughout the value chain. So we work together with brands and retailers who own the dead stock overstock to ensure that that becomes available to facilities who have a recycling capacity or can potentially develop a recycling capacity. And then you also need to have on the the end of the recycling, a commitment to then repurchase the recycled material. 
that's part of the collaboration, but you also need the governance systems and the legislation in place to make sure that a product which is deemed dead stock or overstock can actually be repurchased and recycled. So you're really looking at bringing different players together. You'd be looking at industry associations, you'd be looking at local, regional legislators, collaborations that are of commercial nature, but really a different and a new structure to enable circularity. And I believe those are projects that need to be developed and tested and then have the potential to further scale. So you're looking at something commercial, but you're also looking at something that goes beyond the market and for sharing what a new system could look like. I think we first we need to create these new ideas of what value could look like, of how the systems could work differently. And then we need to test them together and to learn and to figure out what the barriers are and what the best practices are and really share that so we can shift to something different. Yeah, maybe maybe to add to that, indeed, I, I totally agree. There's there's plenty of, of things that we can pilot and that are being piloted, actually. Also, when it comes to, for example, living wages, we see that there's brands collaborating with NGOs, collaborating with governments to actually make sure that certain rules and regulations are being set up or certain conditions are being defined in, in laws and regulations locally, which actually enable companies to, to create a level playing field and to make sure that that the social conditions are improved. So I do think that maybe a way to collaborate is to really define the topic that you want to address. Because as we mentioned before, it, the industry is such a complex and a global um, industry, which makes it very daunting to start on something. But that's why I think by defining sort of the key three things that you would like to address as a stakeholder, you can find partners on pilot uh, project with and and see if it can be scaled up. I think that's a very, very concrete and entrepreneurial way, especially if you can find ways to create new value out of it. So if there's also a business case behind it, I think it will drive change faster as well. So and another thing that I also would like to mention is that you also see quite some accelerators um, or think tanks, uh, such as here in the Netherlands, we have Fashion for Good, which is an initiative that actually pilots very innovative ways to to find new materials, for example, that have lower environmental impact or that also focus on recycling or upcycling, or, for example, changing the manufacturing processes from, for example, water processing to dry air processing. So there's a lot of initiatives already. And I think, indeed, if these initiatives can find players that are interested in these topics, there's plenty of opportunity to um, to collaborate on those things. I, I was interested in, in what you said about new value and how perhaps we can also think about things in new ways and, and even define how we see value as well in our current society. On that note then, what can we all do now to, to understand this issue more? How can we be more conscious? Well, I can definitely recommend reading up on the topic and checking out, uh, obviously, the Shaping Fashion Project, but also resources such as Fashion Revolution that have developed tools that are suitable for wherever you are in your sustainability journey. So if you don't really know anything about sustainability and fashion, but would like to make better choices, they have materials that will really help you get a better understanding of the choices that you do have. Um, but they also have more targeted materials for example, how you can reach out to your local policymaker and ask for better regulation in relation to fashion and sustainability. 
Other suggestions could be to check out documentaries. There are a few really interesting documentaries that will help you get a bigger understanding of the context of the fashion industry. So I suppose there are easy ways to go about it. And then the five simple steps that we uh, mentioned before, I believe there are things that you can do starting today, even just considering buying, for example, an ecological laundry detergent versus a, a regular one will make a huge difference because you're not pouring chemicals onto your clothing and into the water supply. And I'm just thinking about any reading as well because there are quite a few different uh, books and podcasts all on this topic and they all approach the topic through different lenses. And I think that's something important to consider. There's a bigger question and that's what is sustainability? Are we talking about resources that are natural or resources that are synthetic? And it really depends on what different lens you look at. So I think it's good to understand for yourself what are my personal values and then learn a little bit about the industry so you can put them into practice with the decisions that you make. Yeah, maybe one thing. It can already start just by looking at your own closet and asking two key questions that were also part of the Fashion Revolution Week campaign this year. Who made my clothes and what's in my clothes? So yeah, that could be like the start of a journey to find out what is actually what you own. We also have no clue where they're from often. So I think that could be a good start to explore and to uh, go to the brands that you own and, and see what they provide in terms of information on their websites when it comes to sustainability. And just if they don't, ask the question to them. I think that's very a powerful tool to do. Another thing that I think people can do is look locally what kind of fashion brands are there. I often get the question, oh, which brands are actually sustainable and where can I find them? So mapping that and uh, making that more available to a larger group of people can be very valuable as well and can be seen as a a great collaboration because often these brands are are still a small portion of the brands in in the surroundings. So I think it would be good to bring those together and to empower them as a group I was asking myself that that same question the other day and I started doing some research. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I I often get that question Yeah, from different countries as well. So there are some platforms actually that do rate companies on sustainability. So you have an app called Good On You and they assess clothes on, um, on five different environmental and social topics. So that can be a start. But yeah, there's sufficient space to, uh, to add more brands to that, I think. So I wanted to thank you both for joining us today. We've only kind of opened the lid on, on a very interesting and, and critical topic to, to explore. If there's something that you would like our listeners to remember from, from this conversation, what would it be? I would hope that the listeners would take away that the change really starts in yourself. So you don't have to be daunted by the scale of the industry and how far away it can seem from your daily life. But as Colette said, and and I mentioned before as well, it actually starts with what you already own, what clothing you have in your closet and what decisions do you make when you buy. So even with the small things, you can have a great contribution. So I hope people feel empowered to become fashion revolutionaries as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think individual action is uh, very empowering and there's plenty of resources and opportunities out there to do that in terms of your own clothes, but also raising awareness around your friends about the topic can be very helpful. I think that's the key thing uh, I would like to convey as well. 
Great. Thank you so much for joining us to, to you both. We'll make sure to, to provide some links to, to the projects and the resources that you mentioned in the podcast notes in case people would like to learn more and, and find out more. Um, thank you for, for taking the time and I wish you all the best in, in your future work and all the efforts you're making for, for this industry. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much.